Book Five, Chapter Two of the History of Sir Richard Calmady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty. The History of Sir Richard Calmady by Lucas Mallet. Book Five, Chapter Two wherein time is discovered to have worked changes helen however did not stay to debate as to the state of her affections she had had more than enough of reflection of late now action invited her she responded the sweep of her turquoise blue cloth skirts sent the fallen judas blossoms dancing to left and right in crazy whirling companies she did not wait even to put on her broad-brimmed garden hat the crown of it encircled as luck would have it by a garland of pale pink tulle and pale pink roses but braved the sunshine with no stouter head covering than the coils of her honey-coloured hair rapidly she passed up the central alley between the double row of glossy-leaved camellia bushes laughter in her downcast eyes and a delicious thrill of excitement at her heart she felt strong and light her being vibrant penetrated and sustained throughout by the bracing air the sparkling crystal-clear atmosphere yet for all her eagerness helen remained an artist she would not forestall effects thriftily she husbanded sensations and thus reaching the base of the black and white marble wall supporting the terrace where midway in its long length it was broken by an arched grotto of rough-hewn stonework in which maidenhair fern rooted the delicate fronds of it caressing the shoulders of an undraped nymph with ever-dripping water-pitcher upon her rounded hip helen turned sharp to the left and arrived at the bottom of the descending flight of steps without once looking up that richard carmody still leaned on the balustrade some twelve to fourteen feet above that same cool green grotto she knew well enough but she did not choose to anticipate either sight or greeting of him both should come to her as a whole she would receive a single and unqualified impression so silently without apparent haste she passed up the flight of shallow steps on to the edge of the wide black-and-white checkerboard platform it was sun-bathed suspended as it seemed between that glorious prospect of city mountain sea and the unsullied purity of the southern heavens it was vacant save for the solitary figure and the sharp-edged yet amorphous shadow cast by that same figure for the young man had moved as she came up from the garden below he stood clear of the balustrade only the fingers of his left hand resting upon the handrail of it seeing him thus the strangeness the grotesque incompleteness of his person struck her as never before but this though it did not move her to mirth as in her childhood moved her to pity no more now than it had then that which it did was to deepen to stimulate her excitement to provoke and to satisfy the instinct of cruelty latent in every pagan nature such as hers could helen have chosen the moment of her birth she would have been a great lady of imperial rome 
holding power of life and death over her slaves and the mutes and eunuchs with which the east should have furnished her palace in the eternal city and her dainty villa away there on the purple flanks of vesuvius at herculaneum or pompeii the delight of her own loveliness of her own triumphant health and activity would have been increased tenfold by the sight of and by power over such stultified and hopelessly disenfranchised human creatures and the first sight of richard calmady now though she did not stop very certainly to analyse the exact how and why of her increasing satisfaction took its root in this same craving for ascendancy by means of the suffering and loss of others while unconsciously the fine flavour of her satisfaction was heightened by the fact that the victim now before her was her equal in birth her superior in wealth in intelligence and worldly station but as she drew nearer richard the while making no effort to go forward and receive her buoyant self-complacency and self-congratulation suffered diminution for rehearsing this same meeting during those rain-blotted days of waiting at perugia imagination had presented dicky as the inexperienced tender-hearted sweet-natured lad she had known and beguiled at brockhurst four years earlier as has already been stated her meetings with him since then had been brief and infrequent now she perceived that imagination had played a silly trick upon her the boy she had left the man who stood waiting her so calmly were save in one distressing peculiarity two widely different persons for in the interval richard calmady had eaten very freely of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and that diet had left its mark not only on his character but on his appearance he had matured notably all traces of ingenuous boyish charm having vanished his skin though darkened by recent seafaring was colourless his features were at once finer and more pronounced than of old the bone of the face giving it a noticeable rigidity of outline index at once of indomitable will and irreproachable breeding the powerful jaw and strong muscular neck might have argued a measure of brutality but happily the young man's mouth had not coarsened his lips were compressed relaxing rarely into the curves which as a lad had rendered his smile so peculiarly engaging still there was no trace of grossness in their form or expression hard living had indeed in richard's case been a matter of research rather than of appetite the intellectual part of him had never fallen wholly into bondage to the animal he explored the borders of the forbidden hoping to find some anodyne with which to assuage the ache of a vital discontent rather than by any compulsion of natural lewdness much of this quick-witted helen quickly apprehended he was cleverer more serious and mentally more distinguished than she had supposed him and this while opening up new sources of interest and pricking her ambition of conquest disclosed unforeseen difficulties in the way of such conquest moreover 
she was slightly staggered by the strength and inscrutability of his countenance the repose of his bearing and manner his eyes affected her oddly they were cold and clear as some frosty winter's night the pupils of them very small they seemed to see all things and yet tell nothing they were as windows opening on to an endless perspective of empty space they at once challenged curiosity and baffled inquiry helen's excitement deepened and she was sensible it needed all the subjective support all the indirect flattery with which the fact of his deformity supplied her self-love to prevent her standing in awe of him as consequence her address was impulsive rather than studied oh, richard i have had a detestable winter she said it wore upon me it demoralised me i was growing dull superstitious even i wanted to get away to put a long distance between myself and certain experiences certain memories i wanted to hear another language you have always been sympathetic to me it was natural if a little unconventional to take refuge with you madame de valorbe spoke with an unaccustomed and very seductive air of apology her face slightly flushed her arms hanging straight at her sides the long pink tulle strings of the hat she carried in her left hand trailing upon the black and white squares of the pavement to do so seemed obvious in contemplation i did not stop to consider possible objections but in execution the objections become hourly more glaringly apparent i want you to reassure me tell me i have not dared too greatly in coming thus uninvited oh of course not he answered i hope you found the house comfortable and everything prepared for you the servants had their orders i know i know that you should have provided against the possibility of my coming some day moved me a little more than i care to tell you helen paused looking upon him and that look had in it a delicate affinity to a caress but the young man's manner though faultlessly courteous was lacking in any hint of enthusiasm helen could have imagined and that angered her something of irony in his tone well there's no matter for thanks he said the house was yours and will be yours again the least i can do since you and de Valorbes are good enough to let me live in it meanwhile is to beg you to make any use you please of it indeed it is i rather than you who come uninvited just now i had not intended being back here for another month but there was a case of something suspiciously like cholera on board my yacht at constantinople and it seemed wisest to get away to sea as soon as possible one of the firemen oh he's all right now still i shall send him home to england he's a married man the only one i have on board a useful fellow but he must go i don't choose to take the responsibility of creating the widow and the fatherless whenever one of my crew chances to fall sick and depart into the unknown richard talked on very evidently for the mere sake of passing the time and all the while 
those eyes which told nothing dwelt quietly upon helen de valorbe until she became nervously impatient of their scrutiny for it was not at all thus that she had pictured and rehearsed this meeting during those days of waiting at perugia we got in last night he continued but i slept on board i heard you had just arrived and i did not care to run the risk of disturbing you after your journey oh you're very considerate helen remarked she was surprised out of all readiness of speech this new richard impressed her but she resented his manner he took her so very much for granted admiration and homage were to her as her daily bread and that any man should fail to offer them caused her frank amazement it did more it raised in her a longing to inflict pain he might not admire but at least he should not remain indifferent therefore she backed a couple of steps so as to get a good view of richard calmedy and without any disguise of her purpose took a comprehensive and leisurely survey of his dwarfed and mutilated figure while doing so she pinned on her rose-trimmed hat and twisted the long tulle strings of it about her throat you have altered a good deal richard she said reflectively probably he answered i had a good deal to learn being a very thin-skinned young simpleton in part anyhow i have learned it and i do my best practically to apply my knowledge but if i have altered so happily have not you i remain a simpleton she inquired her irritation finding voice <laughs> you cannot very well remain that which you have never been what you do remain is if i may say so victoriously yourself unspoiled unmodified by contact with that singularly stupid invention society true to my earliest recollections of you even richard shuffled closer to the balustrade threw his left arm across it grasping the outer edge of the broad coping even in small details of dress he looked away over the immense and radiant prospect and then up at the radiant woman in her vesture of turquoise pink and gold and so doing for the first time his face relaxed being lighted up by a flickering mocking smile and something in his shuffling movements in the fine irony of his expression pierced helen with a sensation hitherto unknown broke up the absoluteness of her egotism and stirred her blood she forgot resentment in an absorbed and absorbing interest the ordinary man of the world she knew as thoroughly as her old shoe such a one presented small field of discovery to her but this man was unique in person and promised to be so in character also her curiosity regarding him was profound for the moment it sunk all personal considerations all humorous or angry criticism either of her own attitude towards him or of his attitude towards her silently she came forward sat down on the marble bench close to where he stood and turning sideways leaned her elbows upon the top of the balustrade beside him she looked up now rather than down at him and it went home to her had nature spared him infliction of that hideous deformity 
what a superb creature physically he would have been there was a silence helen remaining intent quiet apprehension and imagination sensibly upon the stretch at last richard spoke abruptly by the way did you happen to observe the decorations of your room do you like them oh yes and no she answered they struck me as rather wonderful but liable to induce dreams of scylla and charybdis of the fata morgana and other inconvenient accidents of the deep fortunately i was too tired last night to be excursive in fancy or i might have slept badly you have gathered all the colours of the ocean and fixed them somehow on those carpets and hangings and strangely frescoed walls oh you saw that oh how could i fail to see it since you kindly excuse me of being or ever having been a simpleton helen spoke lightly tenderly almost an overmastering desire to please had overtaken her you have employed a certain wizardry in the furnishings of that room she continued it lays subtle influences upon one what made you think of it oh a dream an idea which has stuck by me queerly though all other fond things of the sort were pitched overboard long ago i suppose one is bound to be illogical on one point if only to prove to oneself the absolutism of one's logic on all others and thus do i otherwise sane and consistent realist materialist and pessimist cling to my one dream and ideal take it out dandle it nourish and cherish it with weakly sentimental faithfulness to do so is ludicrous but then my being here at all calmly considered is ludicrous and it too is among the results of the one idea he paused and helen leaning beside him waited the sunshine covered them both the sea wind was fresh in their faces while the many voices of naples came up to them confused strident and continuous with sometimes a bugle call sometimes a clang of hammers or quick pulse of stringed instruments or jangle of church bells or long-drawn bellow of a steamship clearing for sea detaching itself from the universal chorus capri ischia procida floated islands of amethyst upon the sapphire of the bay and the smoke of vesuvius rolled ceaselessly upward how you see and hear and feel all this richard continued presently well when i saw it for the first time i was pretty thoroughly out of conceit with myself and all creation i had been experimenting freely in things not usually talked of in polite society and i was abominably sold for i found the enjoyment such things procure is decidedly overrated unmentionable matters once fully explored are just as tedious and inadequate as those which supply the most unexceptionable subjects of conversation moreover in the process of exploration i had touched a good deal of pitch and the simpleton being still superfluously to the fore in me i was squeamishly sensible of defilement the young man shifted his position slightly resting his chin in the hollow of his hands speaking quietly and indifferently 
as of some matter foreign to himself and his personal interests. I have reason to believe I was as fairly and squarely wretched as it is possible for an intelligent being to be. I had convinced myself, experimentally, that human existence, human nature, was a bottomless pit, and an uncommonly filthy one at that. Reaction was inevitable. Then I understood why men have invented gods, subscribed to irrational systems of theology, hailed and accredited transparently ridiculous miracles. Such lies are necessary to certain stages of development, simply for the preservation of sanity. Just as at another stage, sanity for its own preservation is necessarily driven to declare their falsehood. And so I, after the manner of my kind, was driven to take refuge in a dream. The subjective, in some form or other, alone makes life continuously possible. And all this we now look at determined the special nature of my attempt at subjective support and consolation. Richard paused again, contemplating the view. All this, its splendour, its diversity, its caprices and seductions, its suggestion of underlying danger, presented itself to me as the embodiment of a personality that has had remarkable influence in the shaping of my life. So far, Helen had listened intently and silently. Now she moved a little, straightening up her charming figure, pulling down the wide brim of her hat to shelter her eyes from the heat and brightness of the sun. "'A woman?' she asked briefly. Richard turned to her, that same flickering of mockery in his still face. "'Oh, you mustn't require too much of me,' he said. "'Remember, the simpleton was not wholly eradicated then. "'Yes, very much a woman. "'Of course, how should it be otherwise? "'It gave me great pleasure to look at that which looked like her. "'It gives me pleasure even yet.' So I wrote and asked de Valorbe to be kind enough to let me rent the villa. You remember it was not particularly well cared for. There was an air of fallen greatness about the poor place. Inside it was something of a barrack. Oh, I remember, Helen said. Well, I restored and refurnished it, especially the rooms you now occupy, in accordance with what I imagined to be her taste. The whole proceeding was not a little feeble-minded, since the probability of her ever inhabiting those rooms was more than remote. But it amused, it pacified me, as prayer to their self-invented deities pacifies the devout. I never stay here for long together. If I did, the spell might be broken. I go away, I travel. I even experiment in things not usually spoken of, but with a cooler judgment and less morbidly sensitive conscience than of old. I amuse myself after more active and practical fashions in other places. Here I amuse myself only with my idea. The even flow of his speech ceased. What do you think of it, Helen? he demanded, almost harshly. Oh, I think it can't last. It's too intangible, too fantastic. Well, I admit that to keep it intact needs an infinity of precautions. 
for instance i can make no near acquaintance with naples i cannot permit myself to see the town at close quarters i only look at it from here if i want to go to or from the yacht i do so at night and in a closed carriage i took on de Valorbe's box at the san carlo if any good opera is given i go and hear it otherwise i remain exclusively in the house and garden i am not acquainted with a single soul in the place and the woman helen exclaimed a singular emotion at once of envy and protest upon her do you treat her with the same cold-blooded calculation oh, well of the woman i know just as much and just as little as i know of naples it is conceivable there may be unlovely elements in her character as well as unlovely quarters of this beautiful city i have avoided knowledge of both you see the whole arrangement is designed not for her benefit but for my own it's an elaborate piece of self-seeking on my part but so far it has really worked rather successfully oh it's preposterous it cannot in the nature of things continue successful helen declared oh i'm not so sure of that he replied calmly even the most preposterous of religious systems proves to have a remarkable power of survival why not this one in any case neither the success nor the failure depends on me i shall be true on my part the rest depends on her as richard spoke he turned leaning his back against the balustrade his face away from the sunlight and the wide view again the extent of his deformity became arrestingly apparent to madame de valorbe has this woman ever been here she asked yes she has been here and then and then helen cried the young man looked up at her his face keen yet impassive his eyes as windows opening on to endless perspective of empty space telling nothing she recognised once again that he was very strong she also recognised that notwithstanding his strength he was horribly sad ah then he said the last of the poor little subjective supports and consolations seemed in danger of going overboard and joining their fellows in the uneasy deeps of the sea but the history of that will keep to a more convenient season cousin helen you have stood in the midday sun and i have talked about myself quite long enough however it was only fair to acquaint you with the limited resources in the way of society and amusement offered by your present dwelling there are horses and carriages of course give what orders you please only remember both the town and the surrounding country are pretty rough it is not fit for a lady to drive by herself always take your own man or one of mine with you if you go out i hope you won't be quite intolerably bored ask for whatever you want you let me dine with you oh, thanks end of chapter two of book five